on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. It looked really bad because a lot of people would be like, you know, you're floating, you're, you're not actually successful. That's what they said. Because if you just looked at it like a business, I was technically negative. I was bringing in $400,000, $500,000 into the company, but $100,000 or $200,000 of that was actually going back into the company to right. pay for staffing and leads and all this other stuff. Right. What they didn't see was that a mission was going to drive me further than the moment. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. All right, everybody, I'm Chaz Wolf, gathering the kings this week. We got David Brooke at the King stage. How are you, brother? What's up, man? Good to be here and on your podcast. Super pumped. Yeah, man. Dude, we were just talking off air a little bit about this beautiful scenery behind you. Before we t- jump into like your business, all that fun stuff, dude, where are you? Like that, that scene looks like a, like a peaceful, serene movie. I'm grateful to be at my house. This is my, this is my fireplace and I'm actually sitting at my outdoor kitchen bar. But yeah, it's, a, it's my house. So I'm grateful to be here. Yep. That's awesome, dude. I just, I love the outdoor space. And we were just talking about that with kiddos and stuff like that. David, what kind of business are you in, man? Tell the audience here what what brings you to the King stage. Yeah. So I am in the real estate brokering business, also the real estate development business. And I started in the real estate appraising business. So a lot of real estate. My team and I sold 650 houses last year. I run a real estate development up in Portland, Maine with a couple of other developers. We're selling 54 condos up there it's in Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and now also Florida. That's incredible. If you didn't think that we were bringing guests on here that knew what they were doing, just rewind the little intro there of David's history. So I'm so jacked to be able to get into your story here a little bit. It's funny. I was just talking to another guy earlier today, actually, and he said he was just doing some travel and he was in Newport. No, is that right? Newport, Rhode Island. Is that a place nearby? (laughs) He's the most beautiful place in his trip. He'd been gone for three weeks and Newport, Rhode Island was like the place. What do you say? I would agree because just a couple of weekends ago, I got engaged in Newport, Rhode Island. Ah, Uh, Pretty pumped about that. I had this awesome opportunity to get engaged to this amazing woman. And yeah, Newport, Rhode Island is one of the most beautiful spots around. Yeah. That's incredible, man. Yeah. Congratulations on that. I can only imagine what you did, just a, the brief energy that you gave to me and information for the show here. But dude, I'm, I hope glowing, you got I, I, I'm still glowing. So bro, I can um, hear it in your tone. I wasn't going <laughs> to say anything. I didn't want to be like all bromancing with you and everything, but I can totally tell you're smitten. It's fantastic. Actually, love is in the air, man. It's good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So tell us, before we get started into the history and like how you got started with this massive, all these projects you got going on at this stage in the game with all that you got going on, your incredible backyard, clearly you've attained a level of success that most would envy, but why do you still push? Why are you still doing this thing? 
Yep. So I set out not a number goal for myself. It was not like, oh, I want to sell 50 units every single month or whatever that is. For myself, it was I wanted to change the way that the real estate industry was done. When I got started into this, I was actually a real estate appraiser. And I remember just like showing up places and I was like, man, these guys don't know what to do as another real estate appraiser or another real estate agent. And it was just really discouraging. And I looked at their education process that we have, whether that's in our state or nationally, and it's incredible. You can spend 10 weeks in a real estate course and get a license to be able to sell any limit of real estate. Isn't that crazy? Like right. that you could sell a hundred thousand dollar house and you could also sell a hundred million dollar place with right. the same exact license. And there's no requirement. It's not like you get out and they're like, okay, cool. You just got your license. You could sell up to $250,000 houses or up to $400,000 right. houses. And then maybe after a year, you're allowed to sell. It doesn't work like that. Day one, you could sell the most expensive. And there's literally no training program other than what brokers put out. And brokers tend out to put out something that is one size fits all. And it is a quantity-based model. And I was like, we've right. got to change that. Interesting. I love, obviously, from an industry change perspective, I find that motivator, that purpose is in a lot of, there's a kind of a key, couple of key big motivators, but industry changing is one of them for sure. And like in that moment, I'm curious, cause I want to dig into the pureness of this and like where this came from. You obviously saw a problem and you said, this is, this is silly. We should change this. But then there's like a huge, like energy push that goes into literally changing an energy or an industry. So like, why did you feel in that moment? Like, I'm the one to change this, or we're going to go after this thing rather than just going, this is dumb. Somebody's got to change this. You know what I mean? Cause that's what most people do. Yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of times, like it, you, you either have a choice um, in leadership and that's either to, you can lead by following in the ways of like others, cause others will follow after you. And you're like, Hey, this right. is just the way that it is. I'm going to keep going with this. Or you can say you can get daunted and you can say it's too big of a problem for me to alone to handle. Or you yep. can just say, look, in my little corner of the earth, I'm going to do something that I yeah. think is going to be impactful to whoever God puts around in my life. And so Love that's that. all I've chosen to do. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. think I'm like the guy to change all of the real, I'm not. Right. And I also don't want to just go along with things just because it's like, you know what? I can thrive in my environment and sorry for the rest of you who, who sure, don't sure. get it. And the, there's a select few of us who are going to do well and can certainly get into that about the disparities in between um, yeah. those who are making it in the real estate industry and those who just look like they're making it in the real estate industry. And then the last is just, look, I, I don't know how to do a whole ton of things well, but these few things that I do know how to do well, I'm going to share with you my successes. I'm going to share with you my disgusting failures. And I'll share with you all the stuff in between, learn from me in this process, and hopefully we can grow together. That's really what I've gone after in the real estate business. And it's ruffled yeah. a ton of feathers, Chaz. I'll be honest with you. Like I'm the guy that ruffles a lot of feathers. And it's simply because I'm not afraid to tell you, like, I don't think that's really helpful for the consumer, or I really don't think that's helpful for uh, the real estate agent. And the problem yeah. is, is that any person or any government agency or the, who we've discussed with or brokerage, I'm going to ruffle some feathers for the people who are making money yeah. off of that inefficiency that's happening. That's right. That's right. And the ruffling comes because real estate, along with many industries, is a good old boy. It's been around forever, especially real estate. And it's like the we as people, as humans, we get caught in the we've always done it this way. And uh, I think even just that principle in itself even though it's maybe backwards, is what keeps entrepreneurs across lots of industries stuck is, well, I've always done it this way. Yeah. So I love that you're doing that. Let's look at, so what is it that like real estate, what are real estate schools teaching? 
Real estate schools are teaching terms. They're teaching an ethics course. They're teaching state laws. They're teaching right. some details on real estate math, some mortgage math. And that's pretty much it, man. And they're packing that through in between somewhere between 10 weeks and 13 weeks. They actually used to offer it in my neighboring state of Massachusetts over two weekends. So you could oh, go goodness. up. For, yeah. You could go up for a Saturday, Sunday, follow that the next week with Saturday, Sunday, take a test within a couple of weeks after it doesn't. And you'd have a real you're estate. You're a professional. <laughs> you are now a professional. And the reality was, is like, you don't know how to tell industry trends. You right. might know how to, and like the training courses offered by the brokerages are, here's our state form on a purchase contract. Let me show you how to fill in the blanks. Right. And the realities around even how a home works was never taught. It was like, I don't know the differences in woods and I don't know the differences in types of materials of when it comes to plumbing and how right. like actual site work is done to develop a property and what civil engineering is. And no one teaches that. And so yeah. you get real estate agents who a lot of times not, I don't want to say like they're victims of this, but they're just not equipped or supplied with the education on how to really truly educate the consumer. And that's who fails at the end of the day. It's actually both who are failing. Yep. Yep. And so I had to ask myself this question as to why this was happening, Chaz. And yep. did you know, this is just a stat that was published just a few years ago, that around $88,000 is driven into the economy for every house that sells. Wow. About $88,000. Because you have to think about it. Yeah. Real estate agents and real and the home sale is really, it's like a rainmaking milestone. You have obviously realtors and lenders and uh, insurance people who are involved in the process. You need an escrow company or yeah. attorneys paralegals, and then all of the subsidiaries. You need a guy to do the title search. You need assistance for that. You start adding all of these together beyond yep. the buyer and the seller. There's about $88,000 of exchange that occurs into the actual economy. Wow. And so my supposition is this, it's just a theory, is that the government wants as many of those people who can make that happen as possible, yeah. which is why to this day, as of last week, there are it, realtors in, in, in the country, 1.8 million of us. Like you can't swing a, a dick without hitting a realtor. <laughs> and so you have to ask the question when there's only a million, one million, two houses on the market every right. single month that it happens, somebody's not eating. And in Somebody. fact, mass shows that a lot are not doing that. And there's yep. a reason for it. Yeah. No, you're so right. I love that you know your numbers so tightly too. You're obviously a detail, an accurate individual. And I think that you've pulled that, you know, from your appraisal days even, and now putting it to the training piece, which I love. I've had experience with a real estate agent before I was even in real estate myself with a person that had no idea what they were talking about. They were completely not helpful at all. And then I've had the complete opposite where it's, this guy knew exactly what he was doing. It was like, wow, this was extremely helpful. So I'm with you. I have a thought on that because obviously I have a huge background in sales and I used to have the same the same conversation with salespeople. I would ask people at a new training center that I was doing some training in and there'd be 50 or hundred new salespeople and you know, who's here to make six figures. And obviously every hand goes up. And then I would ask who's read a sales book or done any sort of training outside of a company training in the last year, six months, one month, and just all the way down. And of course there's no hands raised by the time I'm done. So it's the same thing, right? It's like you have this low bear to entry, which is to the agency. Whether well, I'm a real estate agent or a salesperson, I'm likening it the same. And then you just get the keys to the Lamborghini and say, here you go, figure it out. And most people just don't, which then to your point, leaves the consumer on the other end feeling like icky because I got a bad sales experience from a cold call or in your case, a terrible experience buying a home. That's exactly right. I could not forget the first time buying a home. I was a real estate appraiser and what I knew was valuation. I didn't actually understand that sales process as well, because right. even real estate appraising, it's just all about terms and understanding valuation, et cetera. 
And so when I went through the process, I remember going to the home, like going to my real estate agent, I said, oh, there's a home inspection that happens next. Now, I'm, I think I was 22 at the time. And I really didn't know a whole lot about this. And she was like, here's the home inspection. A lot of buyers just don't show up. And I was like, okay, like, I guess a lot of buyers just don't show up. Right. And she was yeah. like, no, it's a beat up house. I was buying a house. It was like 3000 square feet for a hundred grand at the time. So sure. I knew it was beat up, but at the time I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's the case. And my lender was even confused about the numbers. And it was like, you didn't know what you were bringing to the closing table until you, you got with a, an attorney who was like, okay, right. this is like every detailed thing that you're paying at this, but it's too late at that point. You're either buying the house or you're not. And it was like the yeah. worst experience. And I just vowed to myself that I would never go through that. And, it's, and in fact, I just provided the complete opposite yeah. sort of experience for people in the real estate industry. I love it. I love what you're doing, man. The energy that you've got behind it. I love what you said just a, a little bit ago about changing your little corner of the world and basically just being a good steward of what God's given you. And so I just appreciate that in you. Along the way, obviously, you've made good and bad decisions, and I want to get into those. Let's start with a good one. Like, what have you done in the process of building this monstrosity that you have? But like maybe early in the days, like when you were just grinding out, like what was a good decision that you made that one, one of us can take away and uh, go implement our business? Yeah, I'd made a lot more bad decisions. So I like it. Sounds like <laughs> I figured that would be easier to get to. That's why I went with the hard one first. <laughs> like maybe a lot of times like guys are like, oh, I'll tell you, I did all this was great. And then this worked out. I'm like, man, I just got a lot of like lists of bads. And then we like made it good on the And then end, like, like you got that lucky <laughs> one. <laughs> what was yep. one of the good things? So I did not shy away from units. That was okay. a big for me. So there's a lot of guys who will get obsessed with real estate because of this whole like selling sunset. And the idea behind it is I'm going to sell these higher price homes because it's a smart move, which it is. I'm going to do less work by selling the same amount of units for higher volume. Therefore, I make more commission. And that's good. However, in my market in Hartford County, at the time when I started real estate in 2009, right? Like it just wasn't ranking with luxury sales. And so that wasn't a big thing. I ended up at the beginning doing that, joining like a luxury brokerage shop. And then I realized, like, wait a second, just because you have a luxury sign out front doesn't exactly mean that you're going to sell luxury. You're going to sell right. to friend, family and everything else, right? Yep. And I focused on doing units and I was never shying away from the amount of rentals. I wasn't showing shying away from like the small things. There's like this, this like good, I would call it like a proverb or a verse. It was like, don't despise those days of small things. Because sure. like yep. if you're if you know how to do the little stuff, it ends up being way bigger later on. Yeah. And a couple of buddies of mine, even in the mortgage industry, one of my friends, James, we just hitched our wagons to guys who were just doing a ton of units so that we yep. could see all of these different scenarios start to show up where it's, you're not making as much money, but what you are doing is you're actually seeing all of these different scenarios and like how to navigate through it. And yep. if you know how to navigate through it, like it's way better. Yeah. And I'll say two things here. When you have experienced so many different things quickly in a short period of time, you've got this, like the history with yourself, this trajectory of not only seeing things happening, but also potentially making decisions and then seeing the outcome. And so then that, what that does is it propels you forward in, in good decision-making. And so even though they were maybe smaller, like you said, maybe margins per unit, or maybe just maybe something that you wouldn't choose to do today or something, but early on it's like, Hey, yes. And figure out the rest later is like the term there. And so I think that applies to every single business. Whoever's listening right now, I think that you should take what David just said and say, you're probably not doing enough. Is that in essence, what he was saying is he's 
rather than niching down, and I'm not opposed to niching down, but rather than just saying, I'm only going to deal with the million plus homes, he was like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do them as they come. I'm going to do as many as I can. I'm going to try to learn as much as I can here. Yeah. And I think that's like really important, like in the beginning, at least. So like niching niching down really works once you know what you're doing, right? I'm the, I met a realtor last year. I was in a coffee shop and like, I I cannot help but meet people when I'm like places. Like anyone who knows me is like, oh God, here we go. Got to meet somebody. (laughs) Someone's going to say, so I'm in this coffee shop. Um, I'm sitting down and I'm having a cup of coffee with my girlfriend at the time and and then all of a sudden like some guy some girl in the like at the back was like oh yeah she's talking about a property and i could tell she was like getting outscripted like on zillow zillow is zillow at center something like that and like from across the place i'm like you got a zillow call there and she was like who the heck is this and we start (laughs) talking about this and she starts telling me about her career and what she tells me is david i've been doing this for a little while cool cool on like that we were able to joke around about a zillow lead but she sells within eight streets in Boston. It's just eight streets. And yep. it's like, she knows every neighbor and every door and every house, like the floor plan of every, yep. it's very cool. That's niche yep. down. Sale prices average are like two and a half million. Great. But right. the start was all, let's see how many units we can get. Exactly. Doesn't matter the price point. So I just know how to navigate because then when someone's, yep. Hey, how many houses have you sold? It's very easy for you to be like, sold 15 houses, sold 20 houses and partnering on every single one of those deals. Even if it's like for free with some people, Hey dude, I'll show the house. I'll open the doors. I'll come to your home inspections. I'll do anything just so I could say I was a part of that transaction. There's value in the transaction, but then also the learning piece uh, inside of it. So yeah, you're hundred percent right. I think that's golden. What about a bad decision? What'd you do? I know you got a lot of them, uh, but uh, a lot of them. Share a a juicy Uh, one with us, man. Here's a good one. I screwed myself over really bad in the start. And I ended up floating my company for about two years and taking way less of a paycheck than I ever could have because of a business model that I believed in. So it was like, it was good and bad at the same time. It was part of a company that basically said, Hey, this is what you should charge real estate agents. But I saw that model as broken. I was like, okay, you cannot like have a guy join your team here's my limiting belief and only charge 50% every single time on the deal. You're taking 50% of the transaction. You're providing solutions like large scale tech and training opportunities, support leads, all this stuff. But if a guy's got a $5,000 commission and he needs that like one every single month or two every single month, it has to base taxes, expenses, et cetera. And you're taking 50% of that. Like he's only going to hang around for so long before he's like, well, I've done the units with you. I know what I'm doing. Now I'm going to go on my own. Yep. And so I believed that there needed to be some sort of scale within my business. And so while most people are myopic about it, they're like, it's either 50% or 60 or 70 or whatever it is. Mine was a scale. I was like 50, 50 to this point, And then it scales upwards to 80, 20. That's yeah. my business model. Yeah. However, as I did that, that model worked for me from like, like I never thought my business would grow beyond a certain realm sure, sure. without yeah. the necessary. And here's what I thought I needed more infrastructure than I thought I would. Yep. Okay. So what I ended up doing was I ended up doing a great amount of transactions with like 10 agents. And like, all of a sudden I was like, I need more staff. And once I staffed up and all of those individuals began from their 50 fifties, now we're doing 80 twenties. A lot of times I made the money on the, there's there's no more money in the pot. (laughs) There's no more money. And so it's funny. It like, it looked really bad because a lot of people would be like, you know, you're floating, you're, you're not actually successful. That's what they said. You're not actually successful because 
I was, if you just looked at it like a business, I was technically negative. I was bringing in four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars into the company, but a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars of that was actually going back into the company to right. pay for staffing and leads and all this other stuff. Right. What they didn't see was that a mission was going to drive me further than the moment that mm -hmm. I knew that what I was going to do was okay. I had to look at myself and either say, Hey, we're going to scale back on this and just keep this at five, six, 10 agents or whatever it is. We're going with 50. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really literally what we did. And we were like, okay, we're going to go with that. But yeah. once you hit those numbers, now it's economies of scale. Exactly. Riding. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you identified that specific moment because <clears throat> that's what you had in mind the whole time. The economies of scale, whether you were thinking 50 or not, you were thinking, the more I get, the more they'll be, and it'll work itself yeah. out. And you just hadn't gotten far enough. And so it's so critical. I think that there's a lot of entrepreneurs in that moment where it's like, they know they need to press in. They know they need to grow the top line. They need to yep. build the infrastructure on the inside. And it looks scary and a little bit daunting and a little bit like a lot of money that they might have to invest in the infrastructure and the people and the leadership and even maybe buying leads and all this stuff that you got to really go to the next level. But once you get through that, then like what you're sitting at now, I'm sure you would be able to say that not only was it worth it, but now with the infrastructure, with the investments that you made, it's a whole lot easier now. Yeah, for sure. One of the other like horrible mistakes that I made along the way that ties right into that was like my first assistants that I hired, I didn't have a full laid out plan for exactly what they do every single day. Like I right. just literally was like, cool. So my hair's on fire. I do a lot of real estate deals. Like I guess just watch how I do these real estate deals and help me along the way. But yep. I hadn't itemized every single step in the process and where I was at, it was encouraged to say, well, I'm the sales guy and I know how to do sales and you're the admin person, you know how to do admin. We really didn't list that out. And I actually burned probably like probably two to three assistants yep. right out the gate. Who were like, what do you want me to do every day? And I was like, yeah go get me a coffee. And I realized what I was paying for that coffee was like a half an hour back and forth at $27 an hour, plus yep. the coffee, plus it's, it makes no, no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I love the nugget there for the listener is there's roles inside your company right now and you need a job description. You need specific tasks and then you need good expectations around when that person steps in, like, Here's what to do. Here's how to do it. And here's what winning looks like. And yeah. if you don't have those things, it's super difficult, especially guys or gals that work for people like us. We're crazy. We're, our hair is always on fire. You're, we're, this conversation's on fire. Like it, we're moving at a fast pace always. And for them to be able to jump in, especially when the rope's already going, makes it very difficult if those things aren't in place for sure. That's for sure, dude. And I think the expectations don't just go like for your yourself. It also goes for your family too. So if you want to round it out for a three to one, uh, bad decisions as well, not having clear expectations with your partner as yeah. to what works looks like every single day, time on, time off, because undoubtedly, unless that is clearly laid out, like a business, just like money is like fire. It is yep. irrespective. It is yeah. like cancer, irrespective. Yep. Blessing can be the same way at times, which is a great thing. But the problem is that if we allow something just to be like fire, it will take over everything yeah. because there's always, listen, man, there's always another podcast to do. There's always another real estate deal to be had. And yep. there's always another call to make to another team member. But the reality is like you only have one family. And for myself, I've been on both sides of both blessing and having screwed it up big time. Yeah. Yeah. I would say set those expectations really clear.
Yeah, that's good, man. I, I think that you're not only spot on, but man, you're, you're speaking from experience and you're speaking from the heart. You could even tell it in your tone. It changed. So it's great. What kind of decision-making process do you have now, David? Obviously you've got a huge team, not only agents, but infrastructure on the inside. What kind of decision-making process do you go through? Does your team disciplines involved? Give us some of that insight. Yeah. So we decided, okay, last year I had a massive admin shift. I had one of my main individuals who's a part of my team, just the roles were not working out like strengths and weakness alignment did not happen. We attempted to reallocate roles, et cetera. It just didn't work. And we had to part ways really frustrating. And what I realized through that process was, and what I had to learn along with my coach was just personality leadership will only get you so far. That natural talent will only get you so far, especially yeah. when people are like, and you have a big person. Let's say you have a big personality. It's hope he's going to be great today and hope he's going to be, and he's on fire most of the time, but sometimes you catch him like, and it's just right. not like sustainable. That's probably the word. Yep. It's not even just yeah. healthy. It's like sustainable. Yeah. And so we've moved towards this more, what's called an EOS model of running our businesses which is entrepreneurial operating system. And it's just been really helpful. There's a lot of great resources there. I would encourage somebody to check that stuff out. It allows you to kind of line up your business in a way that's beyond just personality, focuses you back to core principles, core values and beliefs, the big one, one-year vision, three-year vision, five-year or 10-year vision, excuse me, for your company. And your meetings are always set the same. We have these level 10 meetings that my, my admin staff at least leadership have been running. And so my decision-making process really flows through that, through setting a vision and then breaking that down into smaller rocks and then going through my core people who are really just my office manager, my director of operations. And then on the secondary level, what I've realized is that there's a lot of like corporatism that can start to happen as soon as you like start growing something a little bit larger. You want to set an initiative and then have that like disseminated and throughout your company. But the reality is that there needs to be a lot of partnership that happens. And so what I run is I run a mentorship model at my company where okay. every single person who comes into the company has a mentor that's associated. Well, all of those guys together are my leadership team. And I have sure, those sure. guys as part of my decision-making as I like start to roll out new initiatives. Yeah, huge, man. I love that model. I've actually been part of when I was much, much younger, part of a company that was like that. And there was a lot of benefit in that. So I love that perspective. What do you think that is on the mentorship piece there? Because that's the first time it's been mentioned here on the pod. Yeah. What do you think, or wh where did you get that? Or what do you think that's been, if you could attribute one thing to implementing, that's it's the result of that has been this, what would that be? Yeah. So for myself, okay. So this is just, I went to school actually to be a youth pastor. Yeah. I did not want to get into real estate. I was like, my dad owned a real estate appraising shop. And like every day you would think that most dads would be like one day it'll all be your son. Right. <laughs> like all of it. It's like this Simba Mufasa thing. That's right. Like, right. The light. And he was like, look, kid never get into this business this don't do it <laughs> in the world don't do this and i was like i think i want to follow god and i want to do this just dude anything literally anything like just go and do that so i go yeah. into the uh, a youth pastor and and i'm at college and i'm like man i'm like this kind of not and mom had married this guy it was her second husband and he ended up going on drugs and i remember the call she like calls me back she's like hey stuff is really going bad so i drop out i drop out of that. And I go back, I go back home to start like waitering and doing this stuff. I got some crazy cool God stories of how I ended up like taking a trip and going to South Africa. And I felt God speak to me to say, Hey, I want you to want you to get, you know, your relationship with your dad, go back to church. And I also want you to get into construction. Construction, long story short, led me to working for a builder 
Sure. And without getting too much into the story, why not? For two seconds. Yeah. So I, one day yeah. I get into, I wake up and, and I remember I started getting my relationship back together with my dad and going back to church. And so one day I wake up and you believe whatever you want about this stuff, but God, but not audibly, but just like in my heart was like, Hey, yeah. today's the day. And I'm like, okay, what do you mean? And he's like, get in your car. So I like get in my car and I start driving around and he's right here and the left here. And right. And I'm like, I don't even know where I am. So I grew up in a wow. town called Windsor Locks. I was living there and I ended up in a town called Bloomfield. And he was like, Oh, it's right over here. And I remember driving over and there's like a construction thing. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So I like pulled over and I pulled to the side of the road and he's like, it's right here. Get out of your car. So I get out of my car and there's an old guy and he's walking down the hill and he looked gruff and mean. And I was like, Oh boy, I don't know who this is. Right. Yeah. And so I went up and I was like, Hey, my name is David Brook and I'm here for a job as a laborer. And he was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, what's up? And he was like, I just fired a guy at the top of the hill and I needed a laborer to start right away because we're starting another house next. Yeah. I was like, okay. So we started this whole process where he was like, what do you want an hour? I told him and he was like, no, I'm not paying you that. And I was like, it's either that or I jump in the car and I ask God for where the next construction is. <laughs> you said that exactly right there? I said that exact line to him and he laughed. He was like, all right, man. Like it, I just made him laugh. It turns out he owned the whole company. Okay. So he gave me the job. I ended up working there. I remember at one point, it was just before the crash. And so it was like 2007, 2008. And I was laying brick, making a patio walkway up to his new office. And this was just before the crash. And I just remember one day I was just so discouraged because all my friends were back at college doing what they wanted to do. And I was back at home, like laying brick, like the yep. worst thing that you could do. And, and so I just remember, God, I just feel like I'm completely lost in this. I swear I'm not preaching here. There is a point to all this. And anyways, <laughs> I eventually get into real estate. And, and after that, I was so focused on the units. I was like, oh, I'm going to reach out to this guy again. I ended up reaching out to him. He's no, I'm going to go with someone else who has more experience. I got more experience. Then I finally went back and he was like, Hey, you're so like, you have so much tenacity over your business. Yes. Why don't you come again and just try again? Dude, this was like failure, like still not doing what I want to do. I remember right. walking up those same exact freaking patio steps, the brick patio steps that I want, walked in that door, signed $10 million worth of listings and walked out. And that was like a oh, huge wow. major kick into my real estate career because now I had an entire subdivision at two years into the business, yeah. which was awesome. Wow. Yeah. So to get back to that, I'm just like for your original question, like how did you develop the mentoring system? Well, it came actually from those times where I was reading the Bible, like at college and there's this yeah. guy called Moses and he's, he has an uncle who's, this is getting way too much for you, man. You can't have everyone coming to you all the time because right. it's going to get too much for you. His name is Jethro, I, I think. And so all of a sudden he goes, you guys need to have some people like leaders over this stuff. And I was like, man, my company's really young for this, but it wasn't about the size of the company. It was about the idea of the mentorship that you could have where no yep. one's going to learn it unless it's like a one-on-one -on -one sort of thing. So I right. did that for my first seven, eight people. It was all one-on-one. -on -one. And then I was like, as I started to grow to the 12, it got too much for me. And I was like, we should probably get some leaders in place. And then my whole model changed from how do I get new agents? It was how do I get new leaders? And so yeah. now I'm in the pursuit all the time of growing leaders, which helps you grow exponentially. I love it. I love it. Long, long answer. Sorry. No, dude. Thank, first off, thank you for sharing. Incredible story. I'll have to one day share little pieces of my story because it's scarily similar. But dude, thank you so much for being obedient in those moments. I think that uh, not only have you seen the reward of it, but also just for you to be able to implement leadership tactics like that into a real existing business and then be able to change people's lives due to real mentorship that's happening inside your company. I think it's just absolutely phenomenal. Okay, so I want to transition over to the speed round. I want to ask you the first question here, which is uh, we'll take you out of story time into maybe more analytical thinking. Yeah. And I want to know if you had to dwindle everything down to one metric in your business, 
and you can only pick the one to track forever and ever, what would that one metric be? For my sales agents or for my, like my company as a whole? For your company as a whole. It's a really good question, dude. Speed round though. So I have to come up with something quick. <laughs> metric for myself would be recruits 100%. So my business, my personal business does not exist. The amount of houses does not, it changes based upon the number of recruits that I have. Sure. So the more people who are a part and attracted to my company sell more houses. Like I'm going to be limited by the amount that I can provide for infrastructure, completely limited by the amount of recruits that I have. It is not buyers. It is not sellers. It's not advertising. It's not even number of calls made. It is 100% related to the number of recruits who decide to partner with us. 100% headcount. Love it. Okay. Second question is if you actually, let me, let me switch it up on you a little bit. I want to know if you only had one hour, in, one hour a week to operate your business successfully, like you do now, what would you do in that one hour? If you only had the one hour? Recruit an agent. <laughs> okay. Recruit exactly. an agent. It is 100% for that because, because I'm looking to get that next leader. Yeah. hundred percent. Looking okay. to get that next leader. What book would you recommend for a six-figure owner trying to scale to seven figures and above? E-Myth Revisited. The takeaway on that was a lot of people shouldn't start businesses because they're not <laughs> entrepreneurs. They're really technicians who have a desire to own something. That's uh, right. Go buy stock in another company and let someone who should do that. I've seen so many business owners out there who are like literally scraping by. I went to a restaurant the other day and the guy was like, yeah, hoping to buy an island one day. I was like, that's awesome, man. How's this shop going? He's like, we've been open for two years and haven't turned a dollar yet. And I was wow. like- Cool, man. And, but his story is I love Cajun food. Yeah. Great. Glad you like Cajun food. Don't open up a Cajun food restaurant. Yeah. Those things aren't necessarily connected. Although Absolutely. sometimes we think that they are very we good. Think that they are because we are really good at the thing that we do. The technician does it well. The manager manages well. The entrepreneur starts the business, but does not do the managing or the technician. hundred yeah. percent. Love it. Yeah. Or in your EOS language, you have the visionary and integrator. Ah, yeah. Look at you. On, dog. What are the qu next question is, do you intentionally network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs? A hundred percent. I spend a ton of money every year, just getting into rooms of people way smarter than I am. Yeah. Way smarter. I, What's the value I, in that for you? What, why for you particularly? Okay. So in my business is just as tied to like when there used to be some ads for a financial planning company. I don't know whether it was like Edward Jones or something like that. And they're like, why does the cost of wheat in Ohio affect real estate prices in Miami? Like we know, right? And so they would say things like that. For myself, my I make money off of transition periods in time. Sure. So as stuff begins to rise and as stuff begins to fall, so like you make the most in stocks just before, if you know when to buy, it's almost like insider trading. If you know that it's going to, because you just see the signs, you can either get inside information, which is illegal, or you can just see the signs and then play to that. So for myself, what I do is I pay to be in the top 1% of all real estate agents nationwide for these groups. Just because you do it doesn't mean it's, oh yeah, let's all join the club. There's coaches who run all this stuff, right? So yep. I pay to be a part of these things so I can hear what's happening in Miami and what's happening in Seattle at the same time. And I'm like, oh, those markets actually move before my market does. So I'm going to shift just before, and then I'm going to make the money in those like three months of transition period. And then the rest of the market catches on. Yeah. So when people are like, oh, it's really costly. I'm like, your education is always costly. It's either way smaller upfront or it's way bigger on the back end. 
Yeah. Wow. Such a great perspective. And uh, yeah, I think you should say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> I think that they haven't figured it out yet. What would you say to the person just because we're on this topic here, I'm going to, I want to dive into it just a smidge. The listener, what I've, what I have found is that the person who hasn't gotten seven figures yet, there's usually a reason there's a piece that they haven't figured out yet or a couple pieces. And I remember being at that stage, I was pretty young. I was in my early twenties, it was difficult. I knew I needed to invest in myself. I knew I needed to go to conferences or masterminds or whatever it was. And I heard yeah. people like you say that I should, but to spend the $200 or the 20,000 or the 200,000 was just like, it was so difficult at that time. What would you say to that person who knows they need to, they just heard you say all the benefits, but they're just scared. Yeah. You're tired of being burned. That's really it. And like a lot of times, let me just speak like super bluntly. You've just eaten a lot of McDonald's and you're trying to get sold on why I should pay $18 for a burger. You've like, I've had a burger before. Yeah. It's like, exactly. sure, you did with the worst leftover meat possible. Right. on a bun that was designed to last for years. I'm like, geez, that's not cheap. All burgers are not the same, but right. that burger, funny enough, they'll charge you eight bucks for it. Like eventually once you like add on everything, right? You'll pay eight bucks for this or you pay 18 or $20, but like the experience is way different. You're actually getting something that's better. Yeah. It's the same reason as to why it's funny. There's a scene in like the devil wears Prada where one of the girls like makes fun of like fashion week there. I forget what her name is in the movie, but she's or like the devil, right? And she says, you know, it's funny that that shirt that you just bought from Old Navy, that color was featured two years ago in this fashion week that happened in this city by this designer. But it's right. now taken so long that it's flowed down to you. And now it's put on some like junky material and right. you find it like helpful, but it was actually art two years ago. At some point in time, there's cutting edge that's constantly happening. And what most guys have done is they've accepted competency as their bar. They're like, I will be competent. And that is, if you're looking to get to seven figures, I'm sorry, no customer everywhere ever raved about a competent business. They right. rave about an excellent business. They yeah. rave about excellence. And so if you want to get to excellence, you need to be around excellence because that's going to inspire you. And every, and the crazy thing is that for whatever reason, God goes like this, here's a little bit of excellence on this guy's mind and a little bit in this woman's mind and a little bit is over here. And they all come together and they all bring this little piece. And sometimes we get these conferences together where all these get a little bit of time on stage and you're gleaning that excellence. And I'll tell you, I've been in the rooms where it's cost me $3,000 just to walk in the door for an hour or whatever it is. And you get there and you're like, wow, I learned something that I can change and make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of because yeah. I got into this room. Yeah. So I know you're yeah. tired of being sold, but you're not getting the same product typically. Yeah. I love it. I think that just the realness, the vulnerability of where you just came from, we've all been there. We've all been, we've all paid the money and thought, dang, that was the burger. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It makes us a little gun shy. Okay. I, this, it keeps getting better and better, but I want to keep going here. The last question for you, David, maybe one that you won't have to think about very much. I don't know. I'm curious about your answer. If you lost it all, what would you do? Financial planning. You'd change directions altogether. I would. If I lost it all, sometimes I think about it because I'm like, oh my gosh, I make so many ruffles like in, in my state and industry. Like somebody's trying to come after me at all, all the time. I don't care. Sure. But yeah, I'd probably go into like financial planning a lot of times just because we've built so much trust with people over the years for doing a really good job for them that we're focused more in our real estate company today. It was my team meeting. And I was giving guys strategies on how to teach your customers at the start. You're not like convincing them to work with you. You're showing them that I want you to be, I want to increase your net worth 
over the next 10 years? Would you allow me to help you increase your net worth when it comes to real estate over the next right. 10 years? I'll tell you, dude, you interview five real estate agents. One sells you on like how fast he is to the phone. One sells you on his sure, car. Sure. One sells you on his cool company. I'll sell you on how to like, dude, I want to just make you worth a lot more money in 10 years. Yeah. Like I'm going with that person. Yeah. And, and so I'd probably focus on financial planning. Yeah. Love. I love the, the example that you gave there of sharing that from the beginning. I think that it goes back to what you were just talking about as far as being excellent and how that type of client who is going to respond to, wait, this guy wants to help me build my net worth. That person that even that type of buyer is who you're looking for. And so that person yeah. is going to respond number one, but it goes back to, they're looking for the excellence. They're not looking for com complacency or average. They're looking for something excellent, which then even goes back to your faith because isn't, isn't being excellent what it means to be like Christ. So to, to me, at least. And so when you have that reflection, especially if you have that faith, you can build your business out of integrity, not so much out of, a, this is something that I know I need to do, but it just flows naturally because you desire excellence in, in everything yeah. that you touch. Yeah, man. I just posted today, just trying to give a little shout out to some of the guys who work with me, but I say this often, excellence is not a destination. Excellence is a journey. And if you're going to be on that journey of like constantly pursuing our highest self so that we can give our highest to others, you're going to need to get around people who operate at that level so that they can build you up. The other way from that is this idea that like I am a selfish island and that is the complete opposite of excellence. Excellence happens within community most often because we need yeah. others in order to work on ourselves. I love it. Just freaking mic drop right at the end. Dude, I appreciate that. How can the listener today connect with you? They just think you're a great person. They want to reach out. They want to be an agent yeah. on your team. Like, how can they reach you? Yeah, let me be like super explicit. I am looking to partner with real estate agents all across the country. I don't care what brokerage you're a part of. I offer some amazing opportunities yep. to partner with us and our company because we're constantly expanding. Like I said, we're in four markets right now. My goal by the end of 2023 is to be in 20 states across the country. So I'm definitely love interested it. in that. I do development deals as well. Well, so if you got a cool development opportunity, definitely reach out to me with that. But you can reach me. You can find me on Instagram, David N as in Nicholas Brooke. So David N Brooke, you can find me there. That's Brooke with an E. You can also find me on Facebook. You can reach out to me, David at brookgrouprealestate.com or www.brookgrouprealestate.com. So there's all my contact info. There you go, dude. Your, your value here today is invaluable. You've dropped nuggets on us one after the other. Thank you for your time. It doesn't go unnoticed. I appreciate it. I look forward to getting to know you better and running hard with guys like you. So thank you so much for your time. We wish you absolutely nothing but success. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much, man. See ya. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, 
and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.